Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of boxing, the great Teddy Atlas, fighting through adversity today, not feeling well. Teddy, thanks for doing this despite the illness. You got to live up to your commitments, right? It's part of being a professional. Remember Customato always drumming into my head. <laughs> you know, a professional has nothing to do with what people perceive it to be, which is usually making money. Um, he would always say it's got to do with what you have become, your attitude, that no matter how you feel, you're going to do your job, that nothing's going to get in the way of doing your job. Uh, no matter what has happened in your life, it doesn't deter you from doing your job. You know, that for me, he always said that's the mark of being a professional. And, um, you know, you try to obviously live up to those standards and and understand that. So it's part of the job. But I appreciate it. And uh, happy Mother's Day to everybody out there, all the mothers uh, out there. I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day. How was yours with your beautiful wife and, um, you know, all the women that are mothers in your life? Uh, what did you guys do? You have dinner? I know we had a good, we went over to uh, Nicole's uh, mother-in-law, Susan, uh, my son-in-law's mother's in Jersey, and we we had a great day with everybody together. How about you? If I made one good decision in my entire life, it was marrying my wife because I knew that she would be the best mother in the world for my kids, and that's what she's become. I asked her, what do you want to do? I've got a whole bunch of stuff, some options. All she wanted to do was help the kids plant a vegetable garden in the backyard. So she was out there with a shovel, a pitchfork. I said, hey, I looked out and she was starting. I go, oh, why didn't you tell me? I'm coming right down. She goes, no, no, no. I just want to do it with the kids. This is what I want to do. I was like, thank you, God. So I went back in and watched the um, <laughs> watch sports. You know what I love about you, Ken? You're unabrashedly honest about even things that some people would look at and say, what a chauvinistic, uh, <laughs> selfish blout. Uh, the like, people who say that, though, do the same thing. They're just not honest no, about it. I'm not honest, honest about, about my it. shortcomings. Yeah, they're not honest about it. It's not your shortcomings. You just, you're, you're human. You, uh, we all would like to do what is convenient and pleasing to us. We don't, and you don't most of the time, but every once in a while... Um, <laughs> yeah, you you get confused Mother's Day and Father's Day. That's okay. That's, <laughs> she said to me, Teddy, she said to me, she goes, is it Mother's Day or Father's Day? Yeah, uh, and, you know, of course, I was like, I asked you 20 times, what do you want to do? I'll plan a whole day. We could do anything. She's like, I'm just kidding. This is really what I wanted to do. So she did. Uh, and uh, beautiful. <laughs> it was a wonderful day for both of us. Uh, that's <laughs> Listen, again, I hope everybody enjoyed their, their day with their the mothers in their lives uh, without our mothers uh, obviously we're not here and um you know uh and we uh have so much we owe to the mothers so much i mean we could never ever properly pay back our moms for everything they've done for us so it's nice to it's nice to have that day by the way uh i see also mother's day did not deter you from getting your regular haircut you look real <laughs> you are the best you really are Ken. Now, I, I mean you really are i mean yeah. so when you uh, don't have much to work with you got to optimize the crap out nah, of it looks so good. Every, <laughs> nah, it looks great looks great you look great well a lot of stuff 
lot of stuff oh, out there. Oh, we've got a lot of stuff. Hey, let's start out with the biggest upset in the history of sports. Don't say anything <laughs> yet. Let, hold on. Don't say anything. The biggest upset in the history of the sport. I'm giving the trolls a minute to hit me on it. YouTube. Go ahead. I said it. Biggest upset ever. Rich strike. 80 to 1, wins the Kentucky Derby, comes from behind. The finishing video of this horse winning the Kentucky Derby was as exciting as anything I saw all weekend. The, 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 the movie put in in the last like home stretch. Holy crap, that got me ready for the fights. What an unbelievable race. And I'm not a Unreal. huge horse racing guy. What a but job. My God. What a job <sighs> by the jockey, huh? You know, I was thinking <sighs> after he ran that race the way he did in and out of traffic, all that stuff. I mean, it was incredible. It was almost like when you go, you have kids, so you understand. And everyone out there with kids understand. Or they understand when they were kids, where you go to the arcade and you sit in a chair with one of those racing car sort of games. You know what I mean, Ken? And, yeah. and you're driving it. I was there a few weeks ago with my grandson. He loves it. And and you're driving it and there's stuff coming at you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and you're trying to whoa, whoa, you're trying not to go off the road, you know? That's what it was like. I mean, it, it was like being in the, it was like being live in one of those video games where all that stuff's coming at you. And he and he did it on a what? What is it, a fifteen hundred pound, two thousand pound uh animal that, that runs like thirty five miles an hour, whatever. I mean, that's incredible with all that risk and everything else. Uh and where he came from, he was so far back and boxed out. And again, I, I know the boxing purists are going to be like, cut the crap, get to the fights. But I just wanted no, to highlight. No, they love like, this. They 80, love this. 80 to 1. He wasn't even in the race the day before. A horse scratched and they were like, all right, who's up? Rich strike? All right, get him in there. Uh, 80 to 1 odds on this guy. He has, doesn't have a chance. Well, it's like a fighter. Sprint. That's a good analogy. I mean, it's like a fighter a getting bout. a call. Yeah, getting a call, you know, at the last second. You know, okay, you're fighting for the world title. Oh, you know. hey, Michael Bisbin, two-week yeah. notice. Hey, you're fighting Luke Rockhold, who already knocked you out once. It you ready? And he goes like, it's out there he literally the started running books. that day. You're right. You're right. I mean, it's it's happened big upsets in boxing uh, where a guy got a call at the last second. So That horse, he came so far from behind. I was watching it with my kids afterwards, and we were watching the replay. I said, guys, I think someone stuck a turbocharger up his butt. And they were like, how would they do that? You know, I forget how young they are. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. But, man, it was God, it was you know awesome. I was thinking, he made so when he much ran ground. that race, right? The way we just described it, I was thinking of Dana White. People are going to say, Teddy, how do you put Dana White in here? I was thinking because whenever it's a great performance on the UFC, he gives them a bonus. And I was thinking <laughs> the owners of that horse should give a bonus to that jockey. For really? <laughs> oh, for, for sure. For, because that's well, I mean, not that a normal ride. That guy just ride. changed his whole life. That's not a normal ride. You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, go here, stick to the post, do this. Stuff. I mean, this guy had to navigate that horse to a victory. And um, it was it really was that extraordinary that. And Teddy, that, that horse had seven races before and had only won once. He got beat six times and now he just won the Kentucky Derby. It sounds oh, like, such a, an awesome sounds story. like a UFC fighter. Hell yeah, you just right? keep giving them a chance. Keep learning, keep learning, then you get your shot. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you still get a chance to go to the Kentucky Derby, and you win. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, oh, it was it was The it last was thing really I awesome. want to say about it was, did you see... Uh, did you see at the end there where they were taking him off the track the way they do traditionally with the red coats? You know the guys <laughs> on the on the horse with the red coats, yes. and uh, and they're with you know, and they're, so they're 
taking them off, the, escorting them off the track with the horse and the jockey, and then, of course, the guy with the red coat and another horse. And... <laughs> And the Kentucky Derby winner starts taking chunks, <laughs> like yeah. biting, like biting at the uh, at, at the other horse, the, the, the steward's yeah. horse, and he's like yeah. taking chunks at him. And I could not, now some people probably gonna I don't know what they're gonna say when I say this, but I was just thinking somebody out there, boxing fan, was probably thinking, hey, uh, is that horse <laughs> on the eating hay from Mexico? Is he <laughs> is he eating is he is he getting his oats from the same play that place that Canelo gets his uh his burger or his, oh, his Terry, you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna kill us. Oh, they're gonna you kill know, me. They, they, I know. They, they, I know, but that's all right. Fair. Can I say can I say can I say one thing about that? People get upset when people mention about Canelo PEDs. If you get convicted of murder, you're a murderer. If you get convicted, if you get suspended for PED use, <laughs> unless you can prove you're innocent, you were busted for PEDs. I don't know if he did it or not, but he's been convicted of it. Well, he's, been, a- he's been found guilty of it, yes. Uh, he used PEDs, you know. I mean, you could talk all about how he got it from Mexican beef and all that stuff, but... <laughs> Please, I think we're talking to uh, grown-up people here. I hope so, with with some intelligence. I know our fans are very intelligent, um, but there's always a few uh, loose cannons out there that <laughs> <laughs> that just they they don't uh, they don't care. They don't care about logic. But for what it's worth, I think you would agree with me. We love Canelo. As a, Canelo the fighter is unbelievable. One of the all-time greats. I have huge respect for him. I love watching him fight. Everything about him. But you can't change like the facts of the facts. Regardless, if it was a fighter that you trained, Teddy, I'd say, yeah, well, he got busted for PEDs. He says he's innocent, but he got busted. The end. 100%. Uh, well, once I, that horse race... Go ahead. No, go ahead. You finish. I was going to say, when the horse race started, I thought of uh, something that you would often say when you see an upset. Upsets are in the air. That's true. And that's exactly what carried over into the big Cinco de Mayo boondoggle in Vegas. Uh, The great Dimitri Bevel pulls off the upset. Uh, Teddy, honestly, I said to someone before the fight started, they said, Kay, what do you think? I said, if Bivol stops him, he's going to win. He goes, what do you mean if he stops him? I said, well, if he drops him in every round, he may get a split decision. I didn't think that they would give him the decision, and they tried not to. They gave... All three judges found five rounds for Canelo. I disagree, and I'm going to hear everything that you have to say in a minute. I'm just going to tell you from my perspective, I I thought maybe you could give Canelo two of the first four rounds. You okay? Maybe three. Oh come on! And, and, I don't know about that. I, I'm, I, listen, I I'm know. just saying. I mean, you know he's please. Gonna, I, I don't disagree. I don't know. I don't know if you could get him. I know we're going to get into it. You know, obviously in very definitive way. But um, we're, we're, I think the great thing about opening up the way we do, really, and I think people enjoy this, is it's a discussion, and we cover on things that people are thinking about. They are thinking. Some might disagree, but there's plenty that when we just talked about that, joking around about, you know, uh, hope, hopefully uh, Rich Strike didn't get his hay from Mexico, you know, because he was <laughs> a little ex- overly active, if you will. Um, <laughs> don't think there's not other people that are laughing with us and just all of them understand the humor, but th- that aren't saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, we we understand this uh, 
hanging over the head, this cloud hanging over the head of Canelo. We we agree with you. We agree with you. We we're we're not part of the ones drinking the Kool Aid. You know, we're not fanatics, and I get it. I get the fanatics. You drink the Kool Aid. It's part of being a fanatic. You drink the Kool Aid. I understand, but um, people enjoy just human discussions, like two guys in a bar talking about something they enjoy, and that's that's. I, I've heard a lot of people say that's what we enjoy about your chemistry that's what we enjoy about the show yeah you get to the facts yeah you uncover things yeah you touch on things other people quite frankly won't go near <laughs> I see you chomping at the bit at every comment I'm gonna, we're going to go through everything but my point is if I'm, if I'm even as a cynic I could have said alright maybe they gave Canelo two of the first four then Bevo started to pull away I do think I think it was the ninth that Canelo had a good round and I thought that Bevo maybe took a break but it, when I look at that I think two things this isn't a rematch I need to see this was a one-sided beating and before the people start accusing me of hating I want to be clear I love Canelo the fighter. He's moved up multiple weight classes. He's cleaned out divisions. I saw a quote on Twitter from uh, the great Vince Cummings, who's who's always got his finger on the pulse uh, from the Boxing Ramp podcast, so I don't want to take credit for this. But he pointed something out. He said, Canelo cleaned out a pretty light division. And I, I want to preface this by saying no disrespect to the fighters. I love Caleb Plant. I think he's awesome. He's a good guy. But, but you know, Canelo ran through him, Billy Joe Saunders, uh, Callum Smith, all right, they're not the four kings, but he, he, he cleaned them out. And then he went up and he, he was losing to Kovalev and then knocked him out. Fair play. He beat him fair and square. But you would almost think that it was a foregone conclusion that he's going to run right over Bevel and on to the next thing. Then he's going to fight Usyk after that performance. Are you crazy? Usyk might be arrested for murder. Uh, if he thinks that he, Usyk is, is as good a boxer as anyone. But Bevel, to me, just looked like he was cool calm and collected when he got off he was accurate he was strong it looked like canelo to me from the untrained eye of a fan it looked to me like canelo was falling in love with his power he loves being bigger and again this is not disrespectful to canelo i like him but what i saw was canelo thinking yeah go ahead first of all he's got a chin like a granite block you could have hit him with a sledgehammer it didn't look like he was going to get hurt so fair play great chin but Bevo was getting off and lighting his head up like a pinata. And then Canelo almost seemed to like, yeah, as soon as I get my one shot, I'm knocking him out. And he hit him with some big shots. But Bevo was just slick and relaxed. I was super impressed with how relaxed Bevo was and just how sharp and technically savvy. It was just such good fundamentals. One, two, one, two. Just combinations. And when he had him moving backwards, he was just lighting him up. Even when Canelo thought he was being slick and shoulder rolling and sitting on the ropes, he was still getting caught with big shots to the point where I was like, when are they going to change this strategy? Bevo's going to keep punching your head like a pinata if you don't change this. Anyway, that's what I saw. But before we get into the full breakdown, I want to clear something up for the fans. Uh, Bevo mentioned in a press conference right before the fight that he had reached out, that he had spoken with you. Of course, the fans on Twitter, I had to like jump in. I hate to see, see people talk shit about things that aren't accurate. If you just want to say you hate us and you disagree, that's fine. You're entitled to your well, opinion. Well, you love us. You could say that too. Yeah, exactly. You, and typically, it's not someone with their real name. It's some idiot in his friggin' pajamas. But nevertheless, someone said, uh, Teddy reached out to Bevo. He hates Canelo, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to help uh, Bevo beat Canelo. And I just want to clear something up, and, and then I'm turning it over to you, Teddy. But 
Te- Bevo and his team, and this Bevo mentioned it, otherwise no one would even know that you spoke to him. But he mentioned it, no big deal. They reached out to you, they wanted to talk about some different things and get your thoughts and opinions and, and your take on some things. Not necessarily, hey, tell us how to win a fight. But, uh, and you talk to Bevo, I don't know how much you're comfortable sharing, but maybe take it from there. They reached out to you and you had a conversation with Dimitri. How'd that go? Yeah, I mean, listen, we wouldn't be talking about it if they didn't mention it. I can tell you that. I would never, because then it looks like you're trying to get a credit for something. Why, why would I? And, and one more thing, Teddy, wrong. if I can, to your point, there has been conversations that Teddy's had with fighters that if, if we talked about it on here, your head would spin. Your head would spin if you knew how many fighters Teddy spoke to. He's, he's never going to mention, but I just want you to know, if you think it's that he talked to this guy or that guy, the answer is probably yes, he did. So with that, go ahead. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Again, like you said, uh, first of all, as I was just saying, I, 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 there'd be no mention of it from us, from me, if they didn't mention it. And it was, you know, it was they mentioned it. It was nice of them to mention it. Uh, but um, because... Uh, Otherwise, if I'd mentioned it, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I don't think it's classy. I don't think it's appropriate to do it on my own. We had a private conversation. If they want to mention, that's up to them. Um, and they did. But for me, no. Because it looks like grandstanding. It looks like you're trying to get credit for something. And I don't, I don't deserve credit for anything. The guy that deserves credit, it's collective. It's the, it's the fighters, it's the managers, it's the trainers. So it's his team. They did a tremendous job. They knew what they were going into. They knew what they were dealing with. They knew what they had to be prepared for, and they were prepared for it. You know, um, the manager. So I, I you know, uh, the manager of Vadim uh, seems like a good guy. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to him. To be honest, I think if you know me a little bit, you know. At this point in my life, I don't want to be around anybody but decent people. And um, not that I know them, where I would be able to make that hesitation 100%. Uh, but I know I've never heard anything bad about the manager or the fighter. And um, so about a week before the fight, the manager called me and, you know, just asked about the possibility of... Uh, Maybe given a little talking to him and even possibly being out there, but that didn't that didn't uh, that didn't obviously uh, uh, go, and that didn't obviously uh, come to fruition. And so it was it was a matter of uh, wound up having a phone call, and uh, with. The fighter there and the FaceTime phone call with the fighter, the manager. Uh, I believe the trainer was there. I had told him to be there, but I'm not sure. I never saw him, but definitely the fighter and the manager. And again, I I just saw a good person. I know this might, I don't care what it seems like to some people that I could ascertain that just by seeing, but I believe by seeing somebody, their eyes, their, I, I could tell if they're a decent person to, uh, for me, and to a certain extent, I found a kid I had never talked to people. Uh, I found a kid who was just humble, just a humble, straightforward, with a decency to him. And um, I, I, I have always felt something for the underdog, you know, um, 
for the one that's up against a little extra. And he was up against a little extra. You know, nobody was for this guy. Everyone was for the golden goose, the, you know, the anointed one. Uh, and nothing wrong with it. We have our superstars everywhere, everywhere. Michael Jordan in basketball, you know. Uh, at this point, it's uh, it's Canelo to that extent in boxing. and But the other, the Beaver camp were the ones that were really up against it. Nothing, nobody looking out for them, if you want to say it that way. And look, you, it's a lonely sport anyway. You get in the ring, all that matters is you take care of what you have to take care of because nobody else can get in the ring with you. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I I spoke to him and they knew what the heck they were doing. I mean, again, it would be ludicrous to try to think that I, I did anything other than maybe verify things that they already worked on for their camp and knew that were going to be productive for them and and possible for them. Uh, I pointed out, uh, I, I, I just went over a few do's and don'ts. I said, you know, one of the things to win this fight, uh, and it's the same thing I said in the fight plan. It's the same thing I did when we were analyzing the fight for you guys, for the fans, that the jab was going to be the key. The jab and legs, you know, maybe the the quick legs, the ability to move with Bevo, but the slow legs, maybe. Maybe. Because I thought that's why he lost to Mayweather. That his, his hands weren't too slow, but his legs might have been a little too slow to close gaps, that being Canelo. So I just said, again, things that they didn't need Teddy Allen But since we talked, we had to talk about something. So we talked about the things that I, that I had um, figured going into the fight where the jab would be the key. And not only for Beevil to win, but for Canelo. And because, and that might have surprised some people, but I said, you know, for me, if I was Canelo's trainer, I would say to him, you can't win this fight without your jab. And everybody's thinking the power punches and this and the hook to the body and the right hands. And I, I understand the right uppercut, but that was my feeling, that if he don't use his jab, uh, he's going to be very beatable if Bevel does what he has to do. And and he didn't use the jab. And I made the point to Bevel that, or to Dimitri, his first name, that you, the jab is the key. And distance and range, you know, geography, controlling the outside, obviously, uh, to the extent that you, you have to control the outside. Be where you need to be. Fight your fight. That's, you know, pretty simple. And a couple of the don'ts. I just, I pointed out... You you give him an opportunity. I watched on tape where you go straight back sometimes, two or three steps. You can't do that with him because if you go back two or three, you're still in the path of the punch. Here, doubles jab and follow with the right hand. You'll still be in the path and he can track you down and catch you. You go back one and off to the side or move your head or counter punch, but don't keep going back straight. And um, it was funny because as I'm watching the fight, I did see a moment where he went back straight. You might have too, Ken. Where he went back straight two or three steps. And and it looked like Canelo was on to him. Like he doubled the jab. And I think he, I don't know if he landed or just missed with the right hand. But after that, I noticed, he's a smart kid, this people. He, um, he corrected it. I don't know if it had anything to do with me. Probably not. But he went back and then he went off to the side. I said, wow. That's what he needs to do, not to give that entry point to Canelo. 
And the other thing I said is, yeah, you got to use your jab, but you better jab from the right place, the right time, and the right, you know, distance. Because if you jab from too close, he's going to counter you with a right hand. He's very good at that. He's very good at timing fighters, very good at countering fighters, so Canelo is. And if you get ahead, well, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to look to counter you. He's going to look to land a big punch. And what's the best way? If your jab is annoying him, bothering him, beating him, he's going to try to take your jab away. There's two ways, really, to take away a man's jab. One is with your own jab, which I thought Canelo needed to do. And I said it on our program. And he didn't do it. The other is by countering right hands over the opponent's jab. So he's, you know, he's hesitant to throw his jab because he could get hurt. And you take his jab away. Um, those were, I think those were the key things. And again, I, I probably just substantiated that every, in my mind, that everything they were probably looking to do was, Correct. I even said to him, I said, you know this already. I'm, I'm sure you, I know it. You, you and your trainer already know this. I've seen your work. I've seen what you do. Um, and, you know, I said the in and out is important. You know, again, fight your fight. And uh, maybe there is one little mental thing, because you know I'm a big guy on the mental part. I believe, especially going into a fight like this, that 75% of it is, is mental. Well, I think that anyone that doesn't understand that just hasn't been a, hasn't either been in a ring or been in a pressure situation and recognized that if you've done all your training, now it's just a matter of controlling the emotions and executing on the game plan and following instruction, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that uh, you could probably say that about 99% of all sports, once you get to a level, it's all mental. Yeah, and and I said to him, I said, you know, there's, if I've learned anything in my long career it's that there's no superman i've said this on our show before in life in life i said it for life lessons to people you, you get intimidated by someone you think there's super there's no superman and there's no s you know painted on anyone's chest um and i said it's you know he is what he is we know he's a good fighter but so are you but um but there is no superman and i did mention just he didn't say anything but he he just he was very alert listening very respectful and when i said this i could just see the way he was just tuning into it i guess i said look he there's weakness in everybody it's up to you to find it and i said and I, I just thought it was probably floating in his head, so I don't hide from things. If I think something's floating in someone's head, I'm going to bring it out rather than let it keep floating in their head and do damage. Get it out in the open. You know what I mean? Air it out. So I just said, you know, there's been talk about maybe he uses something. And I, I, it's got to be in his mind because he sees how big the guy is and how thick he is and he knows the thing. So he's he's not thinking about it. He's being a pro. Like I talked about before, I'm doing a show. I'm sick, but I'm trying to, I'm being a pro. I'm doing a show. And um, same thing with him, obviously, but I, I just touched on it. I said, but, f you know, everyone would look at that as him having an edge. And he didn't say a word. He's just looking at me. And... um. I said, but you know what? I look at it the opposite, that it's a weakness. Because if you're going to take something, if, and we don't know if he is, 
But if you're going to take something, we know he did, as you pointed out, he did it one time. But if you're going to take, uh, and they had testing for this fight. I don't Again, I don't believe in the testing that's done um, with the boxing. I just don't think it's comprehensive enough, and neither do you. Yeah, th- pe- people that know about testing and performance enhancers would argue that it's, a, it's an intelligence test, not a performance enhancing. Like, do you know enough to get around that test? Because if you do, you can pretty much beat it every time. As the Russian, the entire Russian Olympic team, which is now banned from Olympic competition, because the whole country was doping, and they had a whole system to do it. So point is, there's ways around this stuff. I know the funny thing was I, I, when we talked, we had to delay the call because in the middle of it, they got a knock on the door that, I guess it's Vada, I didn't ask who, that the testing was there, literally at night. So I know he got tested. You know, and, and there's some, obviously they both got, I'm not saying that I know anything that, uh, in any way that Canelo did, avoided the testing. Although I have heard rumors, I think it's fair to say, um, and, and again, I acknowledge that I know no way of knowing if there's truth to these rumors. None. None. But I've heard rumors where, you know, even during the testing, that there were knocks on uh, a famous fighter's door, let's put it that way, and, uh, you know, for Vado, whoever it was, to, to do the testing, right? And that nobody answered the door. And that, uh, that it wasn't reported. Now, could I see that as possible in my sport? Yes. Because, come on, we're being naive if we don't understand certain people are privileged because of the status they have, the money they bring to the sport. Can I say it more clean, clearly? Or, I can't. I can't. And if you want to stand there and say, no, 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 if one guy's getting tested, die, go ahead, stand on that. Believe in it. Take it to your grave. But I don't think you live it in the real world. Well, all- in international in international competition like track and field for instance you're allowed three misses basically you have you're in a 24 7 whereabouts program meaning you have to go to a website log in and say where exactly you're going to be if you miss three tests i think in a year i could be off about something but i know for a fact i have a lot of friends that are olympic athletes and if they come to visit me they have to go online and say here's where i am here's the address and they've i had uh sarah groff an olympic triathlete staying with me once in um in la she came out to do um i forget what race we did together uh san diego triathlon or something while at night we're eating dinner with the kids and the usada showed up and tested her right there in our in our kitchen i have pictures of it they don't want you to take pictures of the testers but so just fyi you 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 can miss those tests, but they don't they don't take that lightly. Obviously, if you're dirty, you'd miss the test and, and take one of your strikes. But there's guys that have missed multiple tests. In this case, the accusation, and again, completely, I don't know if it's a founded one or if it's accurate. I don't. But the the story is that they didn't get tested, but it wasn't reported that they didn't get tested. Okay, so whatever, but I obviously the, there was testing for this fight, and um, like I said, as we were speaking, he had to leave for fifteen minutes to go get tested. Uh, you know, so what I said from the mental standpoint of this conversation was, if he is and has been dirty, would that? translates to me where 
it's usually translated as a strength that he has an edge. I think it's a negative. I think he doesn't have an edge. I think the opposite. I think the you do the fighter fighting him, and I'll tell you why. Because if he's using something that's not legal, he's looking for help. Rather than looking from within for the help, he's looking outside for the help. And if you're doing that, you're acknowledging that you need that help. You're acknowledging that on some level you're not you're not good enough without it. You're not acknowledging it publicly, but you are to yourself. And I said, I think he found that interesting. And um, that's all. I just said, so there'll be a point in the night it's your job to bring them to that place where that weakness can show itself. To bring them to that point, to, again, to that place where that shortcoming is brought out. It's up to you to find that weakness, to put a light on it. And you know what, Ken? I thought that there was a moment where he started putting punches together. You could see the confidence growing in people and the rhythm, and he had control of it. That he was putting punches together and almost like he took over the fight, like like he broke through the myth that this guy is too strong, you can't beat him. <laughs> you know, he hadn't lost the fight for a long time. Uh, you know, going all the way back, obviously, to... To Mayweather, even though some people thought he lost to Lara. I was going to say, don't forget when he lost the first one to Triple G. Well, don't forget Lara, Don't forget some people thought he lost to Lara on his way up to Southpaw, uh, and, uh, who was a pretty good junior middleweight uh, champion in his own right, Cuban from the Cuban National Olympic team. But uh, and and a lot of people, including the person talking right now, thought he lost both of the Triple G fights. But let's listen. He hadn't officially lost, right? Technically lost uh, for since the Mayweather fight, a, a hell of a long time ago, for, for, you know, pretty much. So they started to think he was invincible. And it just seemed like there was a moment in the fight where Bebo broke that invincibility. And he was just, he was smacking him around a little bit. And, oh, and, for sure. And, and he took control of the fight. But there was a moment there that I thought about what I had said to him, where I thought that Canelo showed that weakness, if if I'm accurate, where he just kind of almost acknowledged without purposely acknowledging, like something's wrong, like I, it ain't my night. Like, I'm not the better man, which he never acknowledged that before in his body language. It was almost like a body language thing, like, it's, I don't have the edge on this guy. And there was a round or two, Ken, do you remember where I felt he was behind? I think most people did. And he started moving rather than pressing forward. And and that's yep. kind of unusual for Canelo. He's usually the guy pressing forward. I, I mean, I understand sometimes you got to get yourself together. You got to box a little bit, whatever you want to justify it with. But he was just moving away when he was pretty much at a critical point in the fight where that wasn't going to help him. And it was almost like he was lost. 
It was like he was lost mentally, emotionally at that point as far as being the Canelo he always had been. That that confident, in control, the boss, Canelo. Hey guys, want to take a quick pause to give a shout out to today's sponsor and one of my favorite running brands, Wallaco, Way of Ath- Way of Life Athletic Clothing. Founded by my good friend Terry White based in New York City, he Terry basically reinvented the compression short with the highest quality fabrics that don't fall apart after a few runs and certainly don't smell like crap like a lot of running gear does. Uh one of the one of the key selling points for me in Wallaco is it's got an awesome waterproof pocket for the phone built into the compression shorts i love these things i wear them all the time big fan of terry and wallaco please check out wallaco w-o-l-a-c-o at wallaco.com use the promo code atlas for 20 percent off your first purchase i love these guys i love terry i love the brand please give them a shout give them a chance wallaco.com promo code atlas 20 percent off also want to give a shout out to today's sponsor, Feel Free. I've been on Feel Free train. I've been on the Feel Free train for a while now. Feel Free is a kava-based botanical tonic. I take this stuff before runs. I take it for before important calls. I take it before we record this show. I love it. Gives me a blast of energy. It's based on the kava root. Um, use the promo code Atlas for forty percent off your first purchase. Again, my good friend Trey Hardy, former world champion decathlete, turned me on to this product. I've been loving it, using it for all my key workouts and races. Feel free. Check it out. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, for 40% off your first purchase. You know what? At times, Teddy, I thought about you when he was fighting where it looked like Canelo almost had the body language and demeanor of someone who's like, what are you doing? You're not following the script. I'm the bigger, stronger man here. Follow along. Where his body language all night, with the exception of a few instances that you're describing, he was like confident, like, oh, as soon as I catch you with one of these shots, you're going down. And Bevel just kept. But that changed. Yeah, that, that changed. That Bevel just looks so smooth. And for me, that's what I registered in my head that this is a, this is a critical and a significant change. Something we haven't seen. And there's something behind it. And for me, I believe in what I believe in. Like I hope everybody does from my experience. And I felt like that was on touching on the thing I just, just explained to people out there. If if they're if they're either able to understand it or willing to try to understand it. I don't know. Because some people aren't willing. They're just going to say, oh, no, you're, you're taking this slant because you're against them. Uh, I can't help you. And I can't fight against that. You can't fight against the guy having their mind made up, you know, saying, oh, no, you, uh, you're just against Canelo and you were helping this guy. And, you know, yeah. So I, um, I just thought that, they deserve obviously all the credit in the world because not only did they beat this golden goose fighter uh, that some people think is the face of boxing and he has been for a while I would disagree though I would say the new face of boxing is now a guy named Tyson Fury Um, not too many people could fill a stadium with 96,000 people as he did in Wembley against a guy that is not a top guy 
let's be honest. I don't care if he's a top contender in the sport. Uh, we understand that some of these top contenders don't necessarily level out to be a top contenders. You know what I mean? It's politics. It's this. It's the waiting game. Whatever. And and he did wait there and wait a long time. And he also in between got knocked out by a forty year old former champion named Povetkin. But Dillian White, who knew Dillian White? Over in London, they know their fighters, I get it. But uh, the sport is different. But he had no, you go in the street, you'd be you'd be going for a couple months before you found somebody that knew who Dillian White was, uh, going and asking questions. I mean, so he No put, one outside of boxing would know who Dillian White is, 100%. He puts 96,000 people in a stadium with a, a guy that is not a big name. I mean, again, I'm trying to be tempered with my with my words, but it's correct. He's not he's not the huge star in boxing, and and they put so he's got to be the face of boxing. Uh, Tyson Fury plus his personality, everything else that goes along with it. Um, but Canelo was the face again. I think he's been replaced, but I he was the face for a long time, and. Uh, they were facing an uphill battle in so many ways, not just because of the talent of Canelo that Bevo's people and Bevo himself was facing, but just facing the guy that the powers that be are going to try to make sure he don't lose and want to win, quite frankly. And during these times politically in this world right now, people don't realize how difficult the atmosphere and environment was for him, besides how difficult it normally is to be fighting somebody like I just described for a world title. It's, it's, a, it's a huge pressure moment, huge. And, but, and unlike other sports like the Super Bowl, you're alone in that ring. You're not, you don't got 11 guys with you, you know, like on a football field or 10 other guys with you. You can't share it. It's all you. But on top of that, this was very unusual with what's going on, this horrible, horrible war that's going on in the Ukraine that Putin started, bringing the Russian forces in there and just killing people that don't, uh, for no, just innocent people. And with that going on and with, with Bivol living in that part of the country, that that he lived and he's got obviously <coughs> nothing. I mean, he lives in that the part of the country that Russia, you know, envelops. But obviously, this is a guy that. Well, first of all, he wasn't even he wasn't born there. But I'm not even going down there. I'm just saying this is a guy that has nothing to do with the politics, nothing to do with the decisions of a dictator, a killer, uh. uh a madman named Putin, nothing to do with it. No agreements with what he believes in, nothing to do with that. And yet, there was pressure on him, pressure on his people because of where he, you know, where he was attached to, his attachment to coming from the area of Russia. And I know personally that there was pressure put on everybody and that Canelo even had some thoughts, his people, about pulling out of the fight because they felt that it wasn't popular to be fighting someone from that part of the world right there. 
You know, we know about the Klitschko's, I think, right? If we follow the news, that <coughs> they're great people. They're, they're heroes for me. They are. They're true champions. I think most of these fighters are true champions. But it, it's not what you do in the ring. It's what you do outside, too. How you behave as a champion. Not just how you fight. And boy, oh boy, those Klitschko's, starting with the older one, but both of them, Vitaly and Vladimir, um, boy, oh boy, they are heroes. They're out there fighting. And, um, you know, Uzik's involved, Lomachenko, they're all in their home countries. But the Klitschko's, I mean, one of them is the mayor, the older one, the mayor of Kiev, which has, you know, been attacked. Uh, but they didn't, They you talk about behaving like a fighter, behaving like a champion? <laughs> you have to, you got all those millions of dollars you earned in the ring, and now you got to make a decision to, to, <laughs> to, Possibly they mean nothing, nothing, you know, but instead to go pick up a gun and be next to your comrades in arms, your countrymen, to defend your country, to defend people that can't defend themselves. That, that's, that's a hero. That's a, that's a champion. In any regard, that's a champion. That's what you look for when you define the word champion. Somebody who cares about others more than themselves and are willing to risk themselves to protect others. That's a champion. And um so when and, and the Klitschko's were calling for this fight not to happen, you know? Uh so and that's that to me that is like so incredibly, incredibly unfair. I think I mean, it is too, imagine, but, but it's a we're, fact. We're, we're Americans. If 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 the US invaded uh Iraq, which which you may recall happened, would it would it be cool if the rest of the country was like, Oh, Ken and Teddy, you guys can't do a podcast. We don't agree with what your government did. Like, we'd be like, Yeah, but we might disagree as well, as do most Russian people. If you spoke to speak to most 100%. Russians, they wouldn't agree. You think that the NBA is gonna tell the uh Russian players you can't play? You think the NHL is going to tell them they can't play? No, and they shouldn't. How about the you, UFC? You, you How about the UFC? Yeah. 100, but they've done it in some places. I think in Canada, they let a, uh, a piano maestro, like a piano prodigy, they kicked him out of an orchestra. I mean, how stupid. This the average citizen has nothing to do with the actions of their government, just like you and I have nothing to do with the decisions made by the people running this place. And a lot of the times we might strongly, probably strongly disagree. But that's this is insane. This you, there should be no mention of his nationality when he's having a fight. I get that you want to put pressure on Putin. I, I get it. But there's other ways to do it. How about just stop buying oil from Russia for everyone that's buying oil that, as a starter? A, that would be, that would be massively. Start. But that would be massively inconvenient to a lot of people in a lot of countries. 100%. So let's start there before we start sanctioning individual athletes who are like, this is the biggest payday of his life. I, it's shocking 100%. that he would call and for that. Ken, the point is that he wasn't only the Ohibi and Bevo and his people. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for them because of all of everything I've said today. I do. Sorry, I respect Canelo too, but I'm just telling you that uh, I have a, because they didn't only face again the normal threat of a good fighter in a ring that you're trying to beat, which is a threat enough, but everything else that I just mentioned peripherally that was hanging over their heads, banging at their doors, you know, really infiltrating into their brains. Or trying to. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Congratulations um, to Bevel, to Dimitri Bevel. And um, 
you you earned it the right way, the hard way, the right way. Congratulations to your manager, to everybody, your trainer. Uh, you people stood up and you were special on a special night. You had to be. And you were against all odds and against three judges and against the commission and against a, uh, a sport. With I always say this, Ken. I don't give a freak. I, I, I think that's part of our popularity that I say the truth and I, we both do and you stand behind it and with me. Uh, that we say what we believe and I base it on experience, not just on something I wake up in the morning with. Um, but that we're going to say things that some people are going to find unpopular and not like and that in some ways hurts me i mean there's a reason why i'm not calling fights anymore on tv i mean i think <laughs> not in some way teddy it, it absolutely comes back to hurt you when you tell the truth and yeah. people don't like to hear it but there was people that like to hear it and i'm there for those people and um you know he again he just was a tremendous tremendous job uh, and he was fighting against everything. Everything I mentioned, and I started to mention just now, the administration of boxing. Uh, I always say this, Ken. What the fighters do is great in that ring. That's honest. That's honest. They're, they're putting themselves out there, and they're leaving the ring with less of themselves. That's honest. That That's to be respected and to be honored and, and to... To truly, truly uh, be appreciated on a level that it should be. That they are risking themselves at a high level when they get in that ring. They're putting it out there. And so that's, that's, that's special. What's not special, unfortunately, what does not live up to close to that kind of uh, honor and that kind of uh, level of competence and level of courage if you will, is what the administrators, the so-called administrators, the so-called protectors of this sport do. That That is horrible a lot of times. You, If you guys don't know that, then you haven't been watching the sport or you're not honest about what you're watching, you know? Uh, you're, you're deaf and dumb and, and you're just, <laughs> you're living in your own, universe fine good luck with that <laughs> don't come outside too often though yeah you, you, you might you might get shocked a little bit uh and get a little nausea but uh if you don't know that this sport's corrupt i don't know when you're ever gonna know really and again i get in trouble for i don't care i care about the people that want the truth that appreciate the you, truth and what'd I, you think of the what'd you think of the scorecards how well, many well, rounds you give to listen i think again he was fighting a hell of a fighter, but he was fighting everything else. He was fighting the commissions. He was fighting the, the judges. He was fighting everybody. And you got to remember this. I always lay out the landscape so it was easier to understand. A guy like Canelo brings a lot of revenue to a lot of people. He brings money to the, to the obviously to the venue, to the area around that venue, to the casinos, uh, when when you know when it is in a casino, even if it's not in a casino, people go to the casinos when the fights in Vegas at uh, you know at the arena that it's there. What is it called? The AT and T uh, the uh, yeah, T-Mobile. T T yeah, I was just trying to remember the name. I knew where it was. So 
you're bringing money into Nevada, into Vegas for that weekend, extra money. Um, you're paying the salaries, really, keeping open the commission. The commission and the commissioner, they don't get, they're not open if there's not fights, profitable fights, enough profitable fights in the area. Canelo's a big part of that. So they have to be uh, aware of that. They, they, they have to be... Uh, understand who allows the party to keep going who allows them to have a job uh, people like canelo it's other fighters but it's, it's significantly the the big fights uh so they have to be prepared unless they have a real strong conscience and a you know uh a really great character but most of them it, it weakens it, it weakens their knees a little bit because, you know, even the judges, like, they know they're not going to get selected as a judge, that, that a promoter can keep them out. There's a way to keep them out. And they're not going to be selected to work. And if you're a judge, you got to work. If they don't get it right on certain nights when the big guy, when the big guy is fighting, whether it's Canelo or some other big guy. The guy that, again, that the promoter is bargaining on to win for himself. And that you are bargaining on the promoter to win so he keeps promoting fights so you keep making money with him. So that's how it works. So, you know, again, you want to be, you want to go live in a cave? Go live in a cave then. But that's the reality. And they were looking to fix this fight, okay? All right? They were looking to fix this fight. Something went astray. You know what went astray? A guy named Bevel. He, didn't, he just didn't let it happen because he won too big. You know that old saying, it came to truth the other night, again, that old saying in boxing, you fight the superstar, Ken, you got to win every round and then pray you get a split decision. That's what almost happened. That is putting that to reality. That analogy, that old saying, that that was brought out. That was put there in perfect explanation, illustration the other night. I mean, I thought he, I, I can't see you saying that Canelo won more than three rounds. I mean, you want to go to four? Uh, I don't know. But all right. But I, I I think you could say two rounds, three rounds. But but to have it a two-point fight? Are you serious? Are you serious? You remember that book or that uh, it was a book. It was called The Anatomy of a Murder where they broke down how you do a murder. Well, I'm going to call this The Anatomy of a Fix. How you fix a fight. Now, listen. People are going nuts. They haven't even heard it yet. And they're going nuts because there's something vibrating in the air making them think they're going to hear something tomorrow after this gets edited and put up. <laughs> so they're already getting nuts. It's in the air. Get nuts. Get nuts. Matter of fact, I want to add something to Rob. He just reminded me. I didn't tell him before the fight. I told him a few of the movie uh, referrals I want. People like them. So we keep giving them to him. And movies do reflect real life quite often. Uh, so there was a movie, I can't remember the name of it, Ken, uh, 
it was years ago, years ago, but it was a movie where it was about a network. It was about television, about what we're talking about right here, the, the medium of TV, guy going on the news every night. And, talk. and this guy was uh, getting a little nuts, kind of like me, I guess, except I have more hair than him. Anchorman. He was, he was uh, I don't know, no, it wasn't Anchorman, <laughs> it was something else. And um, I, I think Faye Dunaway was in it, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, Rob's going to find it. And... Uh, he was on the air giving the news, you know, giving his stuff, and he was missing a little hair, like I said. Me and you have been blessed. We good genetics with the hair. And one night he he lost it, but I don't know if he lost it. He just got fed up and was. But he was telling the truth. He he lost it, and he was talking about all the lies going on out there and all the stuff that was being put out there and not not facing the truth. And he couldn't take it no more. And he went to his people, and he had a following, kind of like we have a following. We got two hundred fifty thousand subscribers now, or just just about right. And um, and by the way, if you want us to keep doing this, make it um, make it three hundred thousand, then three fifty, then five hundred, and then a million. Okay, then we can keep doing this. All right, please. If guys. you're watching this right now and you're not a subscriber, please just hit the subscribe button. It helps us out a lot. That's it. So here we are. Thank you. He's on the thank you. So here he is. He's on the, the doing his show, and he starts talking to people like I am and like you are. And he says, "Movie was called Network." Network. And he says, "Thank Thanks you, guys. Rob. Thank you, Rob. Rob." And he goes, and all of a sudden he goes, "Are you fed up? Are you fed up? Did you have enough? Are you fed up? Well, if you are." Go to your window. <laughs> Go to your window right now. Open the window. Stick your head out and yell, I can't take it anymore. I won't take it anymore. And he did. He went out there on the air. He opened the window and he stuck his head out and he screamed, I won't take it anymore. And that's what I'm telling to you guys. Go. I don't know if you there's a, if you want to yell out a window, but um, or you want to yodel somewhere, you know, in the caverns of Nevada or wherever. But just I just let people know sometimes that I can't take it no more, and that's what I'm doing, and I'm doing it for you guys, for the ones out there that I know are out there. I really mean it. I know out there. I I know you can't do it, so I'm doing it for you. Uh, we can't take it no more, and. You watch that fight. I'll tell you. Here's what the anatomy of a fix is. That's a, and and I'm I'm not having any proof. I'm just giving you a general summation of how there's a lot of ways a fix could take place. Here's one where a fixed fight, a rigged fight, whatever you want, none of it's really pretty, uh, could take place. And again. No knowledge, okay? I'm putting it out there. No knowledge, no accusation on anybody that night. I, I don't have any proof of anything. I've just been in the business almost 50 years, okay? So I know the possibilities, and I know beyond the possibilities too, all right? So here, for this night, all I know is what it feels like, the possibility, a possible scenario. Here it is. Did you guys look at those scorecards? I know Ken's gonna, uh, Rob's going to put them up because I asked him before the show. But here. I'll tell you, they're all three of the same. They had four rounds. The first four rounds for Canelo and the ninth round for Canelo. 
all now, of them same now, exact score. Okay, now let's just say anatomy of a of a fix. Let's just say again, no proof, but say you wanted to fix a fight. All right, you say okay, this is the guy. You get together in concert. You, you get the word to the guys, the judges, whatever, because you gotta just like if you're gonna pull off a heist, you gotta have inside guys. You gotta have some inside guys. <laughs> To pull, to pull the heist off, it's got to be well organized. You can't do it alone. So let's just say, I don't know, I don't know, but let's just say, conspiracy theory, we'll call it that, make everyone happy. All right, so now you go and you got your guys, right, the judges, right, or somebody that influenced them or told them or whatever, and, uh, well, maybe they just know. I don't know. Sometimes things happen. Maybe they just know. They know They know from the past when, oh, when I didn't vote for the house fighter, the promoter's fighter, I didn't get any work for a year and a half. Oh, I don't want that to happen again. I don't know. So anyway, so they get there and they say, okay, we're going to give, we're all going to get together and give four rounds, the first four rounds. Now, some of this craziness, I'm going to explain it to you people out there. Stay with me because there's a method to my madness. So you're going to give four rounds straight. Why four, Teddy? Doesn't that look suspicious? The opposite. The opposite. Because people will say, and the commentators, they said it. They said, well, you know, you got to say one thing. All the judges were consistent. They all voted the same. So that makes you feel better. Oh, yeah, yeah. It couldn't have been fixed. They all saw it the same way. That's called an alibi. That's called the alibi. Okay. Now, let's get to the latex gloves because you don't want to leave fingerprints. You want to get away with it. So now you got the four straight rounds, Ken, Kenneth. You got the four straight rounds given to Canelo, the guy who you want to win. Now, why did you give four straight? Well, here's one possible, possible reason. In boxing, if there's an unintentional headbutt or whatever, elbow or whatever the hell it is, that forces one fighter not to continue and it happens in the first four rounds oh <laughs> the magic number it happens in the first four rounds Kenneth the rule is you go to the scorecards to see who's ahead so they covered that base let's just say again crazy crazy Teddy crazy Teddy crazy okay and now I gotta be honest I hadn't even thought about this angle ever before but this is good <laughs> this is really good I got your attention Kenneth now, <laughs> oh you got me yeah <laughs> and now good. now now you go you guys had you covered that base okay good good now you got here comes the latex gloves can't leave fingerprints buddy so now you gotta even it up <laughs> so you even it up because it's gotta be a fair fight the judge has gotta be fair if you look at the absurdity of these rounds, uh, it's absurd. It's absurd. Uh, By he the way, one he quick thing. He, he didn't win a, a round, people. Uh, are you kidding me? In the first four rounds? Oh, my God. 
I mean, I I, he, he I, got oh, those jams didn't count. He got ahead in that fight. He got ahead. That was part of the plan for him. Get ahead. Get ahead. Build confidence. Get ahead. Make the other guy catch up. Make him make mistakes. Make him fight from behind. That was the plan. They were executing that plan, except the judges weren't going along with it. So <laughs> here they are. So they even it up because you got to make it look like you have good intentions. You're doing your job. So bang, all in one stroke. <laughs> I got to laugh. In concert, in concert. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, they, they, they give four. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just crack up. They, they give four straight rounds now. And it's even. Oh, it's even. So later on. When they come in there, when the forensics people come in dusting for fingerprints, they won't find any. So now you got it. You got it in an even fight 4-4. Now what's the next move? Put your guy ahead. Put your guy ahead. Put him ahead slightly, but put him ahead. Okay. So now the next round, the ninth, which he legitimately might have won. I can't remember. Uh, there was a round I thought he probably could have won, that he won. Um, but anyway, that he fought better, put it that way, and I thought he probably could have won. Um, but anyway, so now you all go and you give the ninth round to break the tie. You got your guy ahead. Now you got your guy ahead. You know what? You kept your guy in a fight that wasn't close. You did your job. You did your freaking job. Your dishonest job, but you did your job. You got your guy ahead going into the championship rounds. You think that's a coincidence? No, I don't. All right. But Teddy, to your point, to your point, these are professional judges. They showed up and acted professionally, professionally dishonest, but that's how you do it. Hey, we're committing a crime. Don't be an idiot. Be professional. Do your job. Well, that's a good point, Ken. (laughs) So they're they're undeterred. So now they did their job. They got their man ahead going into the championship round. Now here's the thing that went astray. Went a little haywire from the plan. Now it's up to your guy, the goose, the golden goose. It's up to him to do his part, bring it home. Bring it home. Because if you do any more here, when you already acknowledge it's not a close fight, See, that's the key you got to keep in your head. It shouldn't be this close. It should not be this close this late, honestly. It shouldn't be anything but this. Anything but this. But they did their job. They kept an unclosed fight close down a stretch. Like the, you know, like that same day as the Derby. Down the stretch. You got to be close. Down the stretch. So. They keep the, and here it is. They got it close, and now it's up to Canelo to bring it home because they gave him the lead. Even though he didn't earn it, they gave it to him. And guess what? He couldn't get it home. Bevo won the rounds too too clear, too, too, especially considering, now remember this, guys, Especially considering that it's not like they haven't done it before where they they are so without fear, without fear of reprisal in this sport, accountability, that they it wouldn't be impossible for them to say, freak it, I'll still give them the rounds. But you have to remember <laughs> this. This is the key. They already gave him too many rounds he shouldn't have got. So under these circumstances, 
They couldn't give him these rounds if he didn't earn them. They couldn't. He had to earn them, and he didn't earn them. Bevel, Bevel went out there and won the fight. And if Bevel doesn't do that, if he doesn't win the fight by really bouncing this guy's head around in the rounds that he <laughs> did, as big as he did, you know, he, he don't get it. You know, it's not fair when you say, oh, well, you know, you got you to gotta win it by a, enough. No, you, you should just be able to win. In golf, if you win by one stroke, guess what? You won. Okay, guess what? In baseball, one run, you won. In football, one ball, you won. And nobody told Tom Brady, hey, listen, Tom, uh, you know, you got to win by 21 points. or you're, Other than the bookie, other than the bookie with us, <laughs> you know, we understand, right? With us, the handicap, yeah. and if you want to bet on a game, you got to win by a certain amount of points. Other than that, in real life, win or lose, you just have to win. But in boxing, for some reason, people say, oh, no, if you're the champ, or in this case, you're just a golden goose, uh, you got you got to really beat the guy. Okay, that's not fair. You should just be able to win. But he really beat the guy. Really, really beat the guy. And it was close to that old saying, where you win every round, you hope for a split decision. I mean, you know, he, he won almost every... Uh, I, I can't... Again, I didn't keep score... Per se, but I know what I saw. Um, maybe three rounds, maybe for maybe three. You want to go crazy and give four, maybe whatever. Maybe three rounds to Canelo, but my God, my God, they they were ready to rob this freaking kid, and he didn't let them. He didn't let them. They didn't suddenly get a conscience. He just did not let them rob him. And I watched this. Uh, I watched the barstool. What do you think about that anatomy? Oh, that was exactly what happened. I mean, there's probably like heads are going to be spinning in uh, in Vegas in the inner circles of like, oh, shit, Teddy laid out the whole roadmap. Now we're on notice and nothing's going to change. But that's exactly what they did. Clear as day. Anyone. This is what I was going to say is I listened to the barstool um, uh, broadcast of this barstool had a deal with the zone where you could listen to. You could you could select at the time of purchase to listen to Barstool or listen to Chris Mannix and the DAZN crew, and um, I put pick Barstool. I love Dave Portnoy. I love what he's done. I understand why some people job. might not be his cup of tea, but I love this guy taking on big media. He's just he, he's I, I love him, and um, I listen to it. And look, it's not a professional like Howard Cosell style broadcast, but they had a ton of humor injected. And one of the things they did was called the fight honestly. Dave Portnoy, who's not a boxing analyst, but he was calling the fights. He goes, oh my God, guys, Beevil's beating him from pillar to post. He's winning every single round. Maybe one round for Canelo if you're being generous. And one of the guys there was like, well, maybe you could give in, and maybe you could give this one to Canelo. And Dave Portnoy was like, I'm watching this fight and I'm telling you, I'd rather be this guy. I'd rather be Beevil after every round. That's the ultimate like way to score it. Who would you rather be at the end of the round? But it was just refreshing to listen to guys just talk honestly with no agenda. And obviously, if there's a rematch and they do a good job with the zone, Canelo's a zone fighter, they can keep coming back and doing this. But Dave Portnoy isn't the kind of guy to pander and like give fake pizza scores or call fights in a way that that he's not pandering to these guys. It's honest and, and right he's across always, the board. He's always ahead of the curve. He always He's innovative, you know, with the streaming. He's done a great job and all that stuff <laughs> uh, with the audience, the young audience. He's been able to read the tea leaves. 
of what's yep. coming. And I think he's doing that. He's reading the tea leaves a little bit that uh, fans want something else. They want something else. They want somebody that's not attached to the, to the fighters, if you will, or not attached to the network. And therefore, you have to pander to the network's guy. You know what I mean? They, I think he understands that. And I think he's reading that. And I think he's reading it right. And I think there'll probably be an audience for him because of that. But to your point, you just reminded me of something. I had tweeted. I, I'm a I'm a tweeting fool sometimes on weekends when there's fights because Rob puts them up there for me and and we're getting a big audience with our tweets we really are and uh, matter of fact I think there's some people that that have told me that rather than listen to sometimes the uh, the commentary they just look at my tweets and they they get a rundown of what how the fight's going uh, you know <laughs> I don't know I mean I appreciate that if that's true to that but um. I tweeted at the end of the fight that if they rob Bevo, they should abolish this sport. Sport that I make my living <laughs> in. Yeah. No, and I, I, I'm I, with you. I'm and with I mean, you. And, and I got to add one thing to it. Maybe they should abolish a commentator that actually has, I don't know, the audacity or the, I don't, I don't know what to call it, the goal or maybe the, maybe, uh, we're being honest here, maybe the, uh, it's a tough word. I don't know. Because I'm not in his head. I don't know for sure. But maybe the dishonesty to to actually make a comment before the decision that uh, asking one of his colleagues, uh, could you make it argue? Could you see a draw? I, I almost threw up when I heard that. No, I almost threw up. Thankfully, I ate dinner much earlier. The fight's going late, so you have time to digest. You know, Ken? So they yeah. did me a favor by putting the fights on. These weren't too late. But they did me a favor because my food, you know, it was out of my stomach by then. And I couldn't throw it up. But uh, for him to say that, can you see a draw? Can you make an argument? Whatever his words were. Can you make an argument for a draw? I was like, oh, my God almighty. I mean, that's beyond pandering. <laughs> that 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 is like... That is a problem. Must, must be in the contract negotiation with the uh, network. I mean, By really, way, you're going to say I that give. because when you're saying that, Ken, it's like you're setting the stage. You're doing your job. You're doing, yes, you're, you're howling right. for your meal. You're doing your job that you put there to do. Like you're, you're making it plausible. You're putting in the people's minds of something they're not thinking of. They're thinking this is a freaking one-sided freaking fight. And and Beevil's the champion, but you got to do your job. You got to do your job, and you got to even though it's tough. So you got to go out there and open the door, open the door for the possibility that there's someone out there thinking, "Wow, this was closer than you think. Could it be a draw?" Like <laughs> you, you got to put that in the air. And, and again, here's a TV clip. I think the people are going to enjoy it. Um, do you remember The Godfather 2? Yes, of course. Remember, it was a great movie. Usually the the sequel's not up to the first, but this was. And remember when they were in the Senate investigation where Michael Corleone was being investigated as the head of the mob and, you know, whatever, everything else. And he's being investigated and uh, they were they had different senators there and they had different witnesses and one of the senators was a crooked senator. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. The only people more corrupt than the boxing uh, 
judges and officials are, are politicians sometimes. So anyway, he, this senator who's now in a pocket of Michael Corleone for something that had happened earlier in the, in, in the movie, he has to, as much as it looks like everything is against Corleone, I mean, really bad, really bad. He has to leave to another meeting. So before he leaves, he says to the head of the Senate there that's running the floor, I'd like to say a couple words before. Yes, our esteemed colleague, esteemed. Oh, they use that word, <laughs> esteemed. Anyway, um, yes, our esteemed colleague would like to say a couple words. Senator and committee, I just want to say that I have a lot of my constituents that are Italian-American. They're good, hard-working people. And uh, they are really good people. And I just want to just remind us of how many good Italian-Americans out there. And uh, I have to go now. So long. And I was <laughs> I was laughing. I was saying, that's what this commentator just did. He was the senator. Yeah. He was the senator. Before he left, he had to... You know, he had to do what he's there to do, what what he's, you know, what he's obligated to do. And he had to get it out there in an absurd moment. I mean, here we are. We just watched a fight where maybe, maybe you could make a real good argument that Beaver won 10 rounds. and Easily. Yeah. You could easily make that argument. Uh, very easily. And, the one thing you have to and, give Canelo credit for, though, is the, his body language after the fight with his hands in the air. Oh, like he yeah. really was like, "Hey, I might get this one." These guys, they they did it with they did it with Triple G. I did it. Like, let me give you something on that. You're right. I'm glad you brought it up. But that could be a case of being so used to getting your way. That's so, what I mean. Uh, no, yeah. but yeah, but so that he believes it. In other words, yeah. he believes that you know because. And in his mind, every time he gets in the ring, it's already set up. The script has been written. The cards That's what been, I meant earlier about his body language yeah. was that of like, what are you doing, dude? You're interfering with the game plan. I'm supposed to run you over. Well, you're right. I mean, it was, it was like, but what I'm saying is he didn't do it in a way where someone else is being fraudulent about it where, oh, come on, how could you even put your hands up? You know you got me. And <laughs> That's his, what I was thinking. Yeah, but in his mind, for me, it was almost like he knows the script is written. He knows that he's the golden goose. He knows that everybody has been uh, is going to make sure he wins. And he's so used to that. Listen, Ken, I also, as far as the analysis of the fight, Look, he kept the geography. Matter of fact, you know when you really knew that Canelo was in trouble? I'll tell you when. When Bevo didn't fight his fight anymore, he went inside to the other guy's land to where the geography was better for Canelo on the inside, and he still won rounds. He still won those moments. That's when you knew it was a long night. That's yep. when you knew it was a long night for Mr. Canelo. When he, when he fought the wrong fight and he still made it the right fight by going in close people. And the other thing is, look, he controlled the jab. He controlled range for the most part. He put punches together. Uh, I'll tell you what really did in Canelo. 
You know, we talked about it on the fight plan. By the way, we did say we would take the odds. We did say that with uh, my bookie. I was favoring yeah. Canelo. I'm always transparent. I was, I was favoring Canelo because I thought he'd get it. But I did say when you asked me in the fight plan, uh, here's the odds, which you always do. What do you think? And I said, hey, you got to take a, you got to, it's worth taking a shot. Uh, with the odds, because this guy's the most legitimate fighter he's fought, and yeah, and I'm gonna explain that. I know he cleaned out the 168s and all this stuff, but he did it against guys with undefeated records. But undefeated records against really who, who? They were built up guys. I don't care if you like it. records. I don't care if you like it or you don't like it. There was a reason why I said Canelo was going to knock both those, whether it was Saunders, whether it was Plant, that he was going to win both those fights by stoppage. Because I understood they weren't, I'm not knocking them, but they weren't as good. They they had nothing to beat Canelo with. They weren't as good as their record. Their record was good. And and they could sell. And, and sure enough, the press went along with it. Everybody went along. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to give him credit. He's taking a risk. He's taking a risk. Look at these guys. He fight. He's taking a risk. No. I'm going to tell you another thing that's going to give you Ajita. They, he wasn't taking a risk. The last time he took a risk was when he fought Triple G. He has not taken a risk with any of those fights in reality. I'm not talking about what you think and what the press thinks. I'm telling you about the reality of how good they are. He was not fighting anyone who could legitimately beat him since Triple G until this night. This was the first time he was fighting somebody legitimate where he really was taking a risk. I give him credit for it. I think he got himself so delusional, Canelo, that he might not have realized what a risk he was really taking. I know it's confident he's a champion. I get it. And he's a special fo- I get it. But I really think that with everything that was being done for him, and he's winning, he's doing his part too, that he underestimated Bevel as far as, no excuse for the fight. He was, I mean, he was prepared. But he underestimated him at least mentally for what Bevo really was. He didn't realize that this time he was taking a risk. He thought it fell into line with all the others. Even Kovalev, people say, oh, Teddy was taking a risk. No, he wasn't. He was fighting an older, washed-up fighter who had just fought a couple months earlier and uh, against Yardy, almost got knocked out by Yardy, and then he had to come back quick on short notice and fight this fight, and he's an older guy. He's a guy who had already been beaten, Kovalev, and he's a guy, do you want to know the truth? He's got some quit in him. Ah, oh, people are going to love that, right? Well, he's got some quit, Kovalev, because he quit against Ward in the second fight. He did. He got broken down. He quit. And now you, he, he fought him where he almost beat him in the first fight, but then he quit against Ward in the second fight, body punch, everything, but he gave in. And then you put into the facts that he made a lot of money. Kovalev, a lot of money, a lot of money. And then he went into that Canelo fight with a lot more money. And he he was a guy that Canelo was going to stop. He was going to, yeah, he was winning early, moving around. But once the fight became a fight, only one thing was going to happen. 
Canelo was going to take over and this guy was going to get out and was going to let himself get out. Yeah, he got the hit, but he was giving it. He was giving it to that point where it made it a little easier to hit him. So he was not tested. He was not challenged. He was not, and again, people say I'm knocking him, I'm pointing facts out. For me, he was not in a threat until since Triple G until he fought Bevel. That was a real threat. And I give him credit for taking that threat. I give him credit for taking that risk. I don't know if he knew the risk. I really don't. He had gotten so used to getting his way and going through everyone, I don't know if he really realized how good Bevel was. He realizes it now. He and now he was, doing, it now. was talking about what he was going to do next after he got through Bevel like it was a foregone conclusion. And I'll tell you another thing. His great trade, Eddie Reynoso, right? Great. You know, the great Eddie Reynoso. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm being serious. Um, I'll tell you, who had the better fight plan? The guy you never heard of, Bevel's trainer, right? Nobody's ever heard of him. Um, he's been his trainer since the amateurs. Uh, who had the better fight plan? Bevel's people? Or Canelo's people. I just said it before the fight. Canelo could not win that fight without a jab. I guess somebody didn't realize that. Because he was looking for just power punches. And the problem with looking for power, if you don't land them, you're behind in the scorecards, number one. Yep. And number two, part of landing your power punches is to, to have a table setter, like to jab. And I'll tell you another thing. If you're fighting a guy who you know is going to look to control the outside and has good legs... You better bring a freaking jab along <laughs> to control the outside so he doesn't control the outside to at least stabilize him on the outside. And he didn't. So yep. uh, to finish the analysis of the fight, there, was, there were moments that you had to look for. Another one that Bevel took great advantage of and we talked about in the fight plan was sometimes Canelo gets carried away on the ropes with his defense, Ken. He gets intoxicated by showing off, making you miss, slip, and he does it pretty good, making you miss, slipping, dipping. I, I, I think he might have got that from Mayweather when Mayweather kind of schooled him, if you will. Um, yeah, unfortunately uh, for Canelo, when he tried to do it, Bevel punched his head a bunch of times. It's an opportunity that other people didn't take advantage of where you go against the ropes and you go defensive for no reason other than to go defensive, you're allowing your opponent a moment to get his hands off knowing nothing's coming back for that particular moment. Knowing that he's just showing off his defense, whatever you want to call it. He's just making you miss, but he's not looking to throw back. And a lot of guys don't take advantage of that. Beaver took advantage. That's a moment to get ahead in the scorecards. That's a moment to really have a big round. And... That's a moment that if you take it a little further and you really push the envelope and you really put punches together, he can't slip them all. He can't slip them all, especially if he's not throwing back. Because there's nothing to That do. was the key for me is like if you're slipping and sliding, you're waiting for Canelo to come back with some huge counter and have to Bevo would wail on him, he would have had no 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 counter. But what it really matters in boxing terms is that when there's nothing coming back, there's nothing to deter the guy throwing the punches, in this case, Bevel, from being careful about how many he throws. So he put more together knowing he could because there was nothing to deter him, to threaten him. 
And he connected because you can't slip them all. And by putting more together, he started to connect. So he took advantage. We talked about it on the fight plan. There would be an opportunity on the ropes where Canelo goes into his defense where you could steal that round just right there. And he did. He did. And the other thing, I don't think Canelo helped himself. No, nobody pointed this out, Ken. No commentator. I don't think they recognized it, to be honest. But Canelo likes to ride with punches, like the great Roberto Duran used to. He used to ride with right hands, like the right hand's coming at him. He turned his head to the right and, and go with it. So it, didn't, it took away the impact of the punch. Canelo does that. He'll move his head here, and, and, and he'll just ride with punches. It's better to just slip the punch clean. Then everyone knows you missed, and you're in a position to counter back. He didn't do that. In spots, he rode with it. I don't think it helped him. I don't think it yeah. helped him because it made it more clear that he was getting caught. And, and, and even if he wasn't getting caught as clean as normally because he was riding it out, he was bringing attention to it by doing that, and it looked like he was getting caught clean, even spots where it wasn't quite as clean. So he didn't help himself. And it's almost like he put a, a flashlight on himself with the judges to make sure that they saw that he's getting beat in these moments. Yep. Hundred percent. Well, listen, that was as thorough a breakdown as anyone on the, on any show is going to give. Thank you for doing that. I'm sure the fans are going to appreciate the thoroughness. Before we jump in talking to the UFC, talking UFC, because there was an awesome UFC card as well. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. If you're going to move up multiple weight classes, you got to put on the weight the right way. Whether you're putting weight on or taking weight off. You can't miss all the vital nutrients that Athletic Greens provides. It's got multiple servings of fruits and vegetables in every serving. One scoop in the morning, mix it with water. You can't go wrong. Give yourself, do yourself a favor, an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity system. I never miss a day. AthleticGreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I promise you'll like this stuff. It tastes great. I never miss. I didn't tell you today. I ran the Indianapolis half marathon on Saturday morning. I drove up there on Friday night, came back Saturday morning. I finished second in the old man's division. A 40-year-old kid beat me by a minute or something. I ran 111, um, which was a little disappointing. But nevertheless, I credit Athletic Greens, especially when I'm on the road, with keeping my... Uh, keeping my my health together, certainly my immunity system. Athleticgreens.com, use the promo code ATLAS for 10 free travel packs. All right, Teddy, let's, let's jump into the UFC. They put on another cracker of a show, no surprise there. Big pay-per-view headline by the great Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. But, uh, man, the whole card was awesome. Um, no, 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 I got to correct you. I'm sorry. The whole card was not awesome. That's there true. Was, you know, <laughs> there was, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're and right. listen, we, give the, uh, we pride ourselves on being transparent, being consistent, and being honest. Uh, I've knocked boxing rightfully so that they don't give you week in and week in the, out the kind of competitive fights UFC brings you. And they don't. I don't care. They don't. But... Uh, there are times when the UFC is going to give you a dud, you know, going to give you a, a going to lay an egg. And they laid an egg. You know, it doesn't happen too often, 
But if I'm going to bring it out in boxing, I got to bring it out in, and boxing's my sport. I got to be fair and bring it out in UFC. So we'll get down to it, but uh, I had to correct you there because uh, that, that woman's fight, uh, that, it was a dud. They're oh, yeah. usually great, but what made up for it was the other fights. That's true. Those, 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 those other fights, um, especially those two that we're going to talk about, they, boy, oh boy, they were explosive. Yeah, the women's fight gave us shades of the uh, first Francis uh, Ngannou-Derek Lewis fight where there was essentially no action, but neither guy wanted to get off and expose themselves to the other guy's strengths. So you're right. I have completely forgot about that. Um, but with that being said, and we'll touch on that in a minute, but let's get into this uh, Chandler-Ferguson fight. Man, neither of these guys has ever been involved in a boring fight, and they were going at it, and obviously it ended with that incredible front kick. Uh, Tony didn't see it coming. I mean, he basically kicked him as hard as he could, like a like a, like a punt right under the chin, knocked him out cold. I think he was out for probably over a minute or two. And, um, you know, we like Michael Chandler. He's a total classy guy. I don't think he realized how hurt Tony was when he was doing like four or five backflips in a row that was if I had any critique it would be like hey when someone's really hurt let's just give him a minute let's get him let's make sure he's stabilized before we're flipping around I don't think he was aware of it like you said yeah exactly because he's too classy to do something like that but nevertheless incredible win for Chandler he always gives a great promo Uh, he called out everyone after the um, after the win I I love it Chael Sonnen would always say if you don't tell us if you tell us you don't care about who your next opponent is guess what we're not going to care either so stay on point call out the person you want and he did that he called out everyone the only person that was missing was the diamond dustin poirier dustin poirier is right there angling (laughs) i thought it was interesting that he didn't mention dustin's name nevertheless how'd you like that kick well before i get to the kick i loved it but before i get I don't know, maybe the most one of the most sensational knockouts I've ever seen, um, and I think the commentators said it too. And I want to real quick talk about the commentators over at UFC. I want to congratulate DC Daniel Cormier for making the UFC uh, uh, Hall of Fame. I, I sent a tweet out, and my tweet was congratulations, DC. Uh, you already in the Hall of Fame for human beings. Now, congratulations on making this one uh, for, you know, for MMA fighters. So that's the first thing. And listen, I tweeted before this fight that don't go to your refrigerator. (laughs) And I was right. If you went to your refrigerator to get a couple of beers or soda or whatever, you might have missed it. It was it was it was just what you thought it might be or could be or should be. Uh, It was. It was explosive. Chandler's an explosive force. He's an explosive offensive force, kind of like uh, the woman fighter Serrano, uh, who you know, who I felt lost to Katie Taylor. We had picked Katie Taylor to win, but it was a hell of a fight at Madison Square Garden. And Taylor's an explosive offensive force. Uh, Chandler's an explosive offensive force. He's a he's fan friendly, like I used to say when I called the fights on ESPN. He he puts seats, you know, he 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 put um, fannies in his seat. You you go to watch this fight, you you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get loads of sleep. <laughs> Somebody will be put to sleep, but you're not getting put to sleep. He's exciting, and he lived up to it. And Ferguson's a legend. 
I think he has a lot of miles on his odometer, um, like a lot of legends might, but he's a legend. And sure enough, just like I tweeted, don't go to the refridge, the fight starts, bang, Ferguson hurts him. He hurts Chandler. And a lot of pressure on Chandler. He's lost two in a row. He's lost two in a row to top, top guys, but he lost two in a row. And he was in position, obviously, where he could win those fights. But one of them was a fight of the night of one of the fights of the year, maybe, at Madison Square Garden. Chandler and uh, Gaethje? Yeah. And so anyway, he, so he's been involved with fights with the top guys. And... So, but he lost two in a row. This, the, when he got hurt early, he had to feel the pressure, you know? And he felt the pressure going into this fight with a legend like Ferguson. What was so, so sensational was not only the kick, but how, how it came about. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. He... If there's a flaw to Chandler, it's a flaw we love. He gets too emotional, too hot. He comes out hot like a, like a heat-seeking missile. And he's got one idea. Go get the guy. And he can get a little reckless. That's the one knock on him professionally for himself. That he can get a little anxious, a little careless, a little reckless. And he has. And he's paid a price for it. He showed me another side Aside that he's developing, maturing, getting better from those losses. He learned something. And this is what it was, Ken. And I really appreciate it. Because I always talk about the top guys, yeah, they're tough, but the top guys are more, they're smart. They got the cerebral part. That separates them. That separates them from just toughness. And Chandler showed that cerebral part where, Instead of just coming in there with punches, he knew that's what, he understood that's what Ferguson was looking for. So what does he do? He walks in, his arms are down, moving a little bit. Ferguson's expecting that. He's got him locked into that. And he throws a perfect front kick right down the middle. Nothing wasted. Oh, my goodness. Right on the chin. It's bad enough to get hit by a punch on the chin, but to get hit by a leg? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He hits him right on the chin. But again, we already know. You don't need Teddy Atlas telling you what happened when that foot landed. We understand that. What Teddy Atlas is telling you is appreciate the cerebralness, appreciate the subtle change and development in Chandler after losing two straight fights. He learned something. He was more in control when he needed to be in control. He wasn't reckless. He was just productive, efficient, effective, and dynamic. And he went out there and scored one of the greatest knockouts you're ever going to see. I mean, Ferguson was literally, you said it already, he was out for minutes, for minutes. And... That's what I took away from that fight. Look out for Mr. Chandler. We always knew he was exciting. We always knew he was explosive. We always, always knew he was a tremendous offensive fighter. We always knew he was talented. We always knew he was dangerous. But now he might be putting the whole package together. And that is something 
to look forward to. Oh yeah, the physique on Chandler too. My God, he's a he's a genetic freak. He's just like muscles on top of muscles. Um, also, he lives just down the street here in Nashville. So at some point, it'd be fun to have him on the show. But um, yeah, that's a pretty thorough analysis. I mean, you covered it all there. Um, with that being said, let's segue into the uh, main attraction. Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje. This one was exciting while it lasted. Man, did Charles Oliveira eat some shots. My God, he got hit with some bombs. I can't believe he didn't get knocked out. And then to stay in there, and when he jumped on Gaethje, hit, hit Gaethje, knocked him down, seemed like, you know, oh, my flash knockdown, not a big deal. But my God, when he jumped on him on the ground and transitioned from one submission attempt to another and slapped that rear naked choke on him, it was so fast and so beautiful. It reminds me of the old days when Hoist Gracie just was so outclassing people in jiu-jitsu. He could beat anyone of any size with any skill set, any discipline. He was just so superior. Charles's speed of transition from submission to submission was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. Justin Gaethje is an all-American college wrestler. He's not a like he's not a pushover on the ground. And the way Ch I mean, Charles made him look like a white belt on the ground. He really did. I Charles's evolution has been nothing short of incredible. He gets better every time out. And the, 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 not just his technical prowess, but to eat those punches, keep your wits about you, get knocked down, get back up. I think he got knocked down a couple times, but I thought that the shot that he didn't go down from was was earth shattering. I mean, he got hit so clean and so hard with, a, I think it was a left hook. I was like, how is this guy not, it would knock most people out. And credit to Charles, I just don't like, the only thing that comes to my mind now is like, how would he do against Khabib? And I think that's what a lot of people think. But with that being said, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, but that uh, right now we got to take it that of course you're not going to see him because yeah. he retired. And not only retired, you. I get your point. People come back, they retired, they come back. Floyd Mayweather's made a living at it, um, made extra money at it, whatever. But he promised his mother. I think yeah. that's a little deeper. That when his father wasn't there to look out for him anymore, very close to the father. Father must have been a very special man. Uh, you know, he made Khabib into the warrior that he that he is. For sure. But but he, the mother asked him to promise to retire when the father passed away. And I think he's going to keep his word. So, uh, listen. First of all, he walked into the punches you just described that he took and walked into and got hurt with, uh, he being Oliveira. They were savage, ferocious, hellacious <laughs> uh, counterpunches from, from Gagey. Uh, Gagey was countering him, doing what you're supposed to do. You got a guy coming in reckless, you counter him. And he countered him. I think one was an uppercut or an overhand shot and an uppercut. But he countered him with, he did he did the textbook thing, kind of the guy coming at you on a straight line, and he caught him. And Oliveira, he survived him, got dropped, and then got up. Uh, the first thing I think has to be touched on, Ken, to cover this fight is uh, half a pound that uh, weight because he couldn't win. He couldn't keep his title, Oliveira. He lost it at the scales, uh, technically, because he was a half pound over. A lot of controversy there. Because oh, yeah, my bad. I forgot to mention no, that. Okay. I've got some thoughts on that, too. But go ahead. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, you know, that was very, it was a big story. And 
because again, he he could obviously win a fight, or but he couldn't keep his title. He lost it at the scale. Only only Gagey could win the title that night because he came in a half pound heavy, and it's not clear. There's a lot of fogginess to it because the rumor has it that a lot of the fighters on the card also complained that there was a half a pound difference in their weights. Allegedly, um, the scale backstage was measuring, let's say, 150, but the scale on the official scale was measuring 155, so they think this suspicion, multiple people, not just Charles, saying that the the, the, the UFC scale that they provide in the back, you, you weigh yourself multiple times, obviously, uh, was, was showing a half pound lighter than the official scale, and... Uh, Listen, it's hard to have sympathy for someone when they miss weight. But if, God forbid, you miss weight because of uh, confusion with the organization, et cetera, et cetera, and and I don't know that that did happen. It's not your fault. That is not your fault. But we don't know. We don't know. But you touched on everything that should be touched on with that. And my question is this, Ken. In my business, you get on the scale, you know, at the official weigh-in, and you're a little heavy. You got an hour. I think it's an hour. It depends where. But an hour to go and lose the weight. Yep. Now, half a pound is nothing. Nothing. And they you gave him that time, a, and he couldn't do it. But how much time did they give him? One that's hour. my question. One hour. They did give him an hour? Yeah. And he still couldn't do it. Nope. See, that's... No, but I don't understand that. I'm shocked at that. I'll tell you why. Because a half a pound, unless he was so drained, which is possible, he looked it. First he must of all, when have been, I looked at the, I'm with you. You should be able to do it. Well, you dry out before fight, the night before, the day of, whatever. So, to get the rest of the weight off. Now, Rob's going to put a picture of him at the weigh and He looks gaunt. I've seen it before. I know what I'm... I've seen it with, my, with fighters. He looks... His cheeks are caved in. Uh, his eyes are hollow. He looks gaunt. He looks completely dried out, you know, like like a. He looks dried out like, like a raisin, a, like a raisin. I was going to say that actually. You're right. <laughs> Great minds. Um, yeah, I. He was. That's so. Is it possible there was? You know that old saying: "There's nothing left to squeeze in this, and in, in this lemon, this piece of fruit." Yeah, it's possible, but it's extraordinary. Because if you got an hour and you only have to lose a half a pound, a half a pound, you take a leak. He couldn't take a leak no more because he already got rid of all the fluids. Okay, I get it. I've been there. So I do. Where the average person is probably not understanding this. Teddy, you can't take a leak. Nope, there's nothing to leak. You've done all of that. And looking at his pictures, it kind of supports what I'm saying, that he's so drawn, so dry. But even if you go and put the shower on real hot in your room, in your bathroom, and you, and you sweat in there like a sauna, like a homemade sauna, you should be able to get rid of a half a pound. But then again, he might be, goes to show you if this is true, how tough the weight is for him. Like 100%. in other words, he, he gets down to the to the very bitter end to just what he has in him and he got rid of it all so that's the only explanation i'm going into this for the average person doesn't have a way of really knowing about this stuff obviously i want to give him the experience that i know from being in this spot 
And Teddy, can I can I add one thing that's going to amplify yeah, yeah, yeah. what you're saying? I listened to I happened to listen to Chill Sun and released the, uh, an early podcast, so I want to give him the credit for pointing this out. But he called it to my attention. He said, look, conservatively, you know, people would be like you said, half a pound, like you do anything, you're going to lose the title. He says, conservatively, it costs him 2.3 million. And then he gave a breakdown of why. So all credit to chill. He basically said, look, when you get when you're the champion, he's no longer the champion. He's going to be fighting for an inter. He's going to be fighting for the vacant belt. When you're the champion, let's say you get an extra 50 or 100 grand to wear the champion's T-shirt. You get pay-per-view points that are written into the contract, whereas if you're if you're fighting for a title, you're not the champion. The champion has huge pay-per-view implications on how a fight does. That's why you always hear these guys angling to get on a Conor McGregor fight, get on a heavyweight card, because the champion gets big pay-per-view things. So by Chell's calculation, and if you want to listen to it, you can go listen to his show. He did a whole breakdown of 50 for this, 100 for this, 200 for this from this sponsor. Yeah, he's That's very one. good. He's great. And, and a million dollars. And he said a million dollars conservatively in pay-per-view points by not being the champion for the next fight so i'm sure that charles did everything under the sun to try to lose the half pound but to your point he must have been so depleted and so on on the like limit of what his body could do so to be able to do that and then take those shots because remember when you get dehydrated for the average person who might not know this you're not just dehydrating your muscles and your midsection you're dehydrating your brain so the more the less like uh, whatever fluid surrounds your brain as you dehydrate that loses fluid as well and now all of a sudden the brain is that much closer to the inside of your head you're getting banged around a concussion is formed when the brain hits the inside of your skull which is why when you see a guy get knocked out and his head snaps back and hits the canvas that's the most dangerous thing in the world for a fighter the punches that come straight on okay it's dangerous but when your head bounces off the canvas the whole head is moving the brain keeps moving against the back of the head and that's when you get real problems so to that point it looks like charles didn't have a a drop of sweat or fluid left to lose and couldn't do it in an hour and cost himself millions of dollars so yeah this guy is like he, he he's as light as he can get on fight night so to be able to lose that weight and then take those shots is just even more to the point of how improved and how good this guy is so anyway sorry for that i just wanted to clarify like so everyone understands what's involved and what's on the line? Uh, no, we'll give a thorough picture to everybody. And listen, to your point, I'm going to follow up with that. It's a science losing weight. Some people do it inadequately, quite frankly. There's a lot of people out there that they don't know what the freak they're doing. I'm sorry. But um, it should be a science to lose the weight properly the right way, even when it's extreme. you still a science to how to go about to lose it. And to do as little damage as possible to yourself. And it's a science to rehydrate, to properly rehydrate. Obviously, they did a hell of a good job rehydrating, which should not go without being mentioned. Yeah. Anyway, he that was the first part. So the mental pressure on him, besides the physical attack on his body, he's dealing with all of that. And he's dealing with his pocketbook, that, that money's being lost in this you know, in his pocketbook. And he's having his title left at the scale. <laughs> so he's going in there under duress. And this is a guy who, the reason I'm bringing this up even more so, Ken, this is a guy who's been criticized in the past before he got to where he is now, which he's just extraordinary. He was very experienced guy. Fought everybody. 
he was criticized for being a little soft, if you will. I think that's fair, where he was involved in some submissions. He's anything but soft. <laughs> He's anything but soft. Um, he has made a transformation to another level of toughness. And I, I want to make that point because DC and Rogan, who do a tremendous job, talked about it a little bit. How do you become tougher? How do you... See, here's the point. A lot of people just say, oh, the guy's, the guy's a weak in that area. He's never going to become tough. You know, he's quitting a fight once. Once a quitter, always a quitter, all that stuff. This is for young people out there. <laughs> whether it's in business, whether it's in the trade that you're involved in, whatever you're, you do or trying to do for a living, whatever vocation you, or whatever sport you're in, Whatever you're battling, it's not a dead sentence that if you broke down or whatever got broken down and somebody said you quit or whatever um, and you're never going to make it. No, you can still make it. You can still make up. It's called redemption. It's also called maturity. Sometimes it's not that they didn't have the heart. And that's what people will say that they're a little ignorant and quick to jump on such things. They say, oh, he didn't have the heart. It's not that he didn't have the heart. He didn't have the confidence. He didn't have to develop belief in himself yet. He, he didn't have those tools in his toolbox yet. But he had the ability to get them if he doesn't give up. And I think some of that is to be thought about with the transformation of Oliveira to one of the greatest right now, where he has matured, he has gained confidence by sticking with it and by facing the piper, by being accountable. He, you can always change things. You can change yourself. You can. You can. If you're willing to be that honest with yourself and to look the devil in the eye. And that's what he did. I, and I believe that was apparent. I believe that's what you saw. And I believe that's what DC and Joe Rogan, two people that are great at what they do, I think that's what they were getting at. But, but I'm just putting it in my own words, my own experience, my own translation of what I saw. So I think that's important to be said. <coughs> and <coughs> I always hope on this Podcast that people learn something, if it's possible, from this old crusty boxing guy. Um, but that they can just learn something, uh, maybe that they weren't aware of uh, beforehand. And uh, Oliveira, he, as I said, he got caught counters. You know, uh, he, he, I mean, he, he got, uh, he got. Uh, hurt um, he got hurt and he was hurt going in as I said because of the you know the weight and the, all these things that obviously had to be attacking him a little bit uh, but then he goes he goes in there and he he gets hurt by a terrific striker 
and a good puncher. Uh, you know, and he gets caught those those counters. He gets dropped. Uh, Oliveira does. And I talk about this often. I talked about it earlier in the show, and I think it deserves to be talked about again. He he goes. He didn't just fight like a fighter or a champion. He behaved like one. And that's the key. When it comes time to behave like a champion, you have to know how to do that. He now knows how to do that. That's the key. He always knew how to fight like one. Oliveira has gotten to the point where he knows how to behave like a champion, which is the most important part of this whole equation about being top in anything, you know, being a pro, being whatever you want to define it as. We're defining it right now as being a champion uh, and the behavior that's connected to that. And he, for me, that's where he won the fight. You know, he goes and he behaves like a champion because otherwise he doesn't get a chance to display his jiu-jitsu skills, which of everything you said they are. It's It reminds you of the Gracies that started this UFC thing, really, uh, uh, many, many years ago. And I said, I, I picked, we talked about it quick last week. And um, you asked me who I liked in a fight. I said, I can't go against Oliveira. You know, as as tough as uh, and as good as Gagey is, especially in the striking phase, uh, I can't go against Oliveira because I felt and remembered what the old-timers used to tell me. When you win a title, you get 30% better. I think that was that practice right there. I think that was that play right there. I think that was exhibit A in a courtroom to prove that what I was talking about, to prove the truth of it. It was right there. He got 30% better. Just winning the title. Just the mental, the way it makes you feel, the way you feel about yourself, the acknowledgement of where you are now, of what it took to get there. You're a champion. He was 30% better, which is extraordinary in itself because he's so damn good to begin with. That's what I saw, and that's what I acknowledge, and that's what I want people to at least get out of this if, they, if they're if they not aware of all those dimensions, to make them aware of those dimensions, to give these great warriors, these, these special men with a code that they fight by, that they live by in that octagon, you know, these samurai, real-life samurai, to give them the credit that they deserve in all aspects of what they do. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic performance by Charles. Let's jump into some quick hitters to cover some of the topics that maybe didn't warrant a full breakdown, but I'm sure fans are going to want to hear it. And Teddy, before we do, when I was at the race in Indy, I bumped into an older gentleman who came up, recognized me in a crowd of like 20,000 people. He said, oh, Ken. And I, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm Ken. And he said uh, his name was Roger Gammon, and he said he's just... uh, Three-time recovering from cancer. I think three times, but recovering from cancer. Just got back from a mission in the Philippines, uh, helping some less fortunate out there. He's just a big fan of the show, and I just want to tell him, Roger, we appreciate you. Love what you're doing. Thanks for saying hello. Appreciate you. And um, one other thing. Uh, I don't usually do shout-outs on the show, but wanted to give a shout-out, a happy 22nd birthday to um, Ryan Patrick Wilson. It's actually my cousin's youngest son. Just turned 22. He's on the USS Cole 
stationed, I think, out in the Mediterranean, and they weren't able to come. He wasn't able to come home for his birthday because they were out there with all the stuff going on in um, Russia and Ukraine. He's a um, petty officer, third class. So petty officer, third class, Ryan Patrick Wilson. Happy birthday from uh, from Teddy and Ken at the fight with Teddy Alice. With yeah, that- I want to tell him, too, real quick. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Um, also makes me think of my nephew, Dylan Atlas, Dylan Atlas, who's in the Marines. Uh, thank you. We're proud of you. Uh, thank you for your service. But uh, Ken, I'm glad you brought him up again. Uh, thank you for your. You know, I talk about behavior as a champion, right? Talk yep. about a lot on this show. Thank you for behaving like a champion and uh, looking out for your country the way that you do and putting yourself at risk by doing that. Thank you. Yep. Happy birthday, Ryan Patrick Wilson. Um, and with that, Teddy, let's jump into some quick hitters. And one uh, one fight that definitely doesn't deserve more than three minutes, and it's hard for me to say that because I love Rose Namajunas. I think that she is an absolute warrior. I also think she's a very honest person and would probably say, yeah, that wasn't the best fight in the world with Carla Esparza. Congratulations to Carla heading off to get married, I think, this coming weekend. So she post put her wedding off for a week to fit in a world title fight. Well, now she has something to hold her dress up and celebrate with that new title belt. So congratulations to Carla Esparza. But with that... Love them both, massive respect, but oh my God, what a, what a terrible fight. Give it to me, Teddy, three minutes, go. Some interesting things here, sidebars, if you, if you will, or explanations for what you saw, for what you didn't see. You didn't see a great fight. You didn't see uh, the competing that these two women are known for um, in that kind of way. I think there is an explanation. Again, uh, if you go into some areas that, uh, not the known areas uh, that are available to most people where there's an explanation for what they're seeing. I watched them coming out. And what I saw, I thought I saw something that was tell, going to be telling maybe later or could be telling, and it was for me. I saw Rose coming out talking to herself. Now, I know we psych each other up. I know the fighters and performers, they psych themselves up. Uh, they, I can't get beat. I can't be beat. I'm the, you know, whatever. I get it. There was something about Rose saying, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Uh, Nobody talked about it. And then I said to myself, I wonder if that means something. I mean, obviously, she's she's telling herself something confident and self-hypnotizing herself. And she does do that at every fight. But it was just the way she did it. Um, I don't know. I, I was just wondering, I was wondering if there was a possibility for this fight if there were any ghosts in the attic. Because she she had a rematch. This was a rematch yep. from years ago. That's right. Where she got submitted by a sponsor, if I'm correct. And yep. I, I, sometimes the ghosts can hang around. They got to be exercised. I just had a feeling afterwards. She was It was a little deeper than usual that she was trying to exercise these ghosts. But anyway, and then the ghost showed up. But maybe she brought them out by without even meaning to. Because they both were too respectful for each other, to each other. Uh, Rose was worried about letting Esparza get close where she could take it to the mat, of course, you know, where uh, she could maybe submit her. And of course, 
Espasa was being so cautious and respectful, she didn't want to get caught counters because Rose is the better boxer. You can see that. But there was one other thing at play. It almost seemed like the corners weren't aware of what was going on. Like, like they almost like weren't cognizant that nothing was being done here. And, and that they were saying, great, great, you're doing the job. Great. I was like, where is it great? I mean, without throwing punches, you can't win a fight, no matter how you move it around the ring. And it almost became like Rose's corner was almost like caught up in showing off how good her footwork was, how good her style, how pretty her style of boxing was. Like, almost like they were showing off and forgot they weren't putting any, they weren't attaching the other part to it, which is throw punches with it, you know? So at the end of the day, you had this fight that we're talking about that was not a competitive fight. But I think that those were connected to being the reasons why is that obviously they were too respectful of each other, and that's why. And that's what wound up happening. Uh, and, and I don't think they were aware of really how bad it was in those areas. I really yeah, don't. Dana said, Dana said afterwards it was like the most boring fight in the history of the UFC or something well, to that well, effect. I, you know what I would say? Dana's right. I've seen yep. shadow boxing more electric uh, than that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think that that's uh, actually enough for this fight. Unfortunate for the girls, but I'm sure they'll bounce back. They're both uh, world-class athletes. Let's talk about a battle that, that was anything short of boring, and that was the first card to start out. The for first fight on the main card, we had Randy Brown against Chaos Williams, two athletes in action. I like this fight. It was exciting. But I know you have some thoughts, so give it to us. Yeah, listen. For me, I'm I'm gonna give back some of the time that I just went a tiny bit over, and in this one, and I'm gonna say that Brown had the physique of a great puncher. That there's fighters in my sport in boxing that are wiry guys tall, thin, you know, wiry, where they're great punches. Bob Forster comes to mind, Carlos Zarate, bantamweight, uh, Alexis Oguayo, the great featherweight, junior lightweight champion, um, Tommy Hearns, who went up so many multiple weight classes. Wiry guys, they get leverage. They get leverage in their punches, Ken, and they're explosive. I think that Brown can be that guy that but he's got to learn how to set himself at a distance and fight tall he hasn't learned that yet not consistently he's too inconsistent in that area way too and sometimes he's fighting outside other times he's falling in uh too close he's got to be taught how to fight on the outside so he can use those physical assets that i recognize where he could be an explosive guy and if he does I think it's possible uh, that that he can wind up being that. That's it. I'm giving you back a minute and a half, Ken. All right, Teddy. Last one on the quick hitters. We've got um, the legend Mauricio Shogun, who uh, seems to be about 50, 60 years old at this point, versus former Tennessee Vol football player Ovin St. Peru. 
All right. You had to throw that Tennessee volunteer thing in since you, <laughs> you moved out there. Okay, no problem. Well, I don't care about Former superstar athlete, Division One football player. Just worth noting, like, this guy's a crossover athlete. Yeah, yeah I got to check to see if he's your neighbor. But um, uh, you <laughs> love those Tennessee people now, don't you? Yes, you do. I What bothered me watching it as a trainer you know, I watch these fights. I can't turn off the trainer part. I can't help it. I, I can't help it. One time I walked through a gym. I had I, I had to control myself. I'm walking through the gym in a, that I've never been in before. Somebody asked me to come. I'm walking by, and I want to yell out, hey, put your chin down. Move after your punch. Uh, you're leaving your left hand out. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? Just keep walking <laughs> and go meet the guy you got to freaking meet. This, you're not training these guys. But I'm watching a fight, and I couldn't help it. <clears throat> I'm thinking, St. Prio is blowing a lot of opportunities to counterpunch. I mean, you got rule right where you want him. Tough guy, you know, a, a, a war horse, like you said, a real veteran. But he's coming and leaving himself wide open. He's coming in with wide haymakers, and it's... It's perfect to counter him, to punch him between, you know, to punch on his way in and and catch him. And what is St. Prue doing? He's moving out. So his feet aren't set. If you're going to counter, your feet got to be set. And he's pulling out when the other guy's coming in with wide shots. And instead of countering him, he's letting the guy get away with it. He's letting the guy, you know, get in. And I just kept thinking to myself, he might blow this fight. There's so many opportunities to counter Rue. Real tough guy, of course. Um, real veteran, toughy. But he's not taking advantage of him because he's not set. He's pulling out when he should be set to catch the guy. So he wound up getting it and surviving it anyway. St. Prue got the, the nod. But that was my take on that one, that as a trainer, it just gnawed at me that... He was missing these opportunities that were right there. Yeah. Well, that was a thorough breakdown of an exciting uh, exciting weekend of action across all sports. Um, but with that, guys, thanks for being with us. We've got, um, we've got some potential exciting guests coming up. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, potentially some big names that I know you're going to want to hear from. Before we say goodbye, Teddy, you got anything else? No. In the words, the immortal words of the great, great George Foreman when he whispered into the ear of Muhammad Ali and Zaire. Well, actually, Ali whispered in his ear around the seventh round or so, becoming a long night for George because he was banging and banging and banging at the great Ali, and Ali was still there and still talking to him. And Ali said, that all you got, George? And George said, yep, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and with that, hit the like and subscribe button. Help us out. You'll be doing us a solid if you do. And please support the, the, the brands that support the show. Today's show is sponsored by Feel Free, Wallaco, Athletic Clothing, and of course, Athletic Greens. Guys, thank you for being with us. Teddy, have a great week. 